This is a Discovery Church podcast. Every heart found in Jesus' story. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, we pray that this message brings you deep encouragement. If you would like to get involved in the life of our church, head over to discoverychurch.com.au or check out our social media or YouTube channel. Good to see you, good to see you. No pressure, but now I feel like I have to make it really fun. Like trying to think quickly this morning how to make this message really fun. But no, it's always fun to be in church because you're with people who love Jesus, we're about a common goal and the Lord's gonna do something new in your life. And so that's always fun. Hey, um, I hope you've landed. Are your feet on the ground in January yet? We're three weeks in, maybe you're just fresh back from holidays. Maybe you're like, oh, it feels like you're gonna be 2025 already. Um, But start of the year, we love to talk about gains, don't we? What are the gains that we're gonna have this year? Maybe you've got some areas in your life that you're hoping to see some growth in this year, some things you wanna achieve, anybody wanting to run a marathon? Usually that happens for at least one or two. There's probably one or two that are like, maybe this is the year I'm gonna do the marathon thing. Whatever it might be for you, but we love gains. Why do we love them? Because they make us feel like we're winning. Who likes to be a winner? Any competitive people here? Me too, I'm one of those. I love to feel like I'm winning all the time at everything. Love making progress. We love progress. We love feeling productive, seeing things go up, right? So I don't know what gains you wanna make this year. Maybe you've got some financial gains. Who loves opening their online banking and their balance has gone up and not down? That's all we like to see. That's a good feeling. Cosy Lives is, you know, putting pressure on us in that area. But you like to check your stocks in the morning or your investments and we love it when they go up. We love thinking about what kind of gains we can have in our families, where are we gonna see some growth in in maybe in your marriage this year or in your relationships in your world. Gains in your fitness, who's got some fitness goals this year? Three weeks in, you set a goal to go to the gym, are you still going? Maybe, maybe not. The only gains we don't love generally are the KGs gains. The post-Christmas KGs are not our favourite kind of gains. All the other gains though that you can think of Uh, generally we get pretty vibed about that, don't we? I don't know, generally, and when we think about how we're gonna get those gains, we're thinking about what 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 have I gotta do this year? If I'm gonna wanna run a marathon this year, what have I gotta do? I've gotta get that runner app and I need to get it to tell me how many Ks I need to run each week so that in however many weeks I can run 21 of them and tick that off my list. Or we're thinking about what we've gotta do, how we need to orient our lives, our week, what we've gotta add in so that we can get there. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you have a personal rhythm at the start of your year, but um, I have a personal rhythm, and it is to ask the Lord a question. And at the start of the year, sometimes, sometimes it starts percolating at the end of the year before, but usually at the start of the year, I ask the Lord just one question. And the question is, God, what is it that you're inviting me to this year? What are you inviting me to? Just a simple question. Um, I would encourage you, if you've not asked the Lord that question ever or this year, Take some time this week to ask that question, God, what are you inviting me to this year? And um, this year I asked that question and I was in the surf in the, on the first morning of the year, New Year's Day, beach swim, so good. Who, any beach people in the room? Yeah, that is good. Like to be in the water on New Year's Day, could there be a better way to start your year? In, no, there couldn't be. There could not be a better way. In the surf, and I felt the Lord speak to me and say, I'm inviting you this year, Jodes, to live well. And I was like, okay. 
And usually that's what happens for me. I feel like the Lord will give me a word or a theme. Maybe this happens for you too. Maybe it's something different for you. I don't know how that, how that works in your world. But for me, it usually comes in the form of a word or a theme that then helps shape or frame my year. It helps me decide, what am I gonna say yes to? What am I gonna say no to? Will I do that? Won't I do that? Will I commit to that? Won't I commit to that? How am I gonna use my time this year? How am I gonna use my money, my resources, my energy? Where am I gonna apportion that stuff? If this is the, the theme for my year or the word I feel like the Lord has given me, what, how am I gonna set my year up so that I can look back and go, yeah, I did live well in 2024. And so then it got me curious about and some of the questions I've been asking the Lord and I'm still, it's real time because that was only on the 1st of January. What day is it today? The 21st? So 20 day, what day is it? Yeah, so 20 days ago. So I'm asking questions like, what would it, because living well is pretty broad, like that could sound a bit vague. So that's not that helpful. So I need to get some concrete things around that, right? So I know if I'm living well or not. So questions like, Lord, what would it look like for me to live well in my marriage this year? What would that look like? What activity, what kind of things? How would I set my attention to that? What would it look like to live well in my own personal well-being, my health, my fitness, my mental health? What would that look like this year for me? What would it look, look like to live well in my relationship with my kids who are now teenagers? What does that look like? What does it look like to live well in the way I steward my finances this year? So I'm trying to break it down. Do you see where I'm going with this? I'm just trying to break it down so that I've got some concrete things so that as the year unfolds, I can look back and answer that question really easily. Am I living well? What would it look like to live well in my relationship with Jesus, in my faith, as a disciple? What would that look like? Because if I don't have anything to measure against, it's pretty hard to know if we're making any progress, right? And so I'm not sure if you have a theme or a word for your year, but what I noticed is, as soon as I started to think about that, my mind went straight to what I could do more of. To live well, I need to do more of that. More of that, more of that, more of that. I need to do, I need to be better at that. I need to add that into my world. I need to do more things. All of these words you can hear more, do, add, better, bigger, louder. All the adding kind of words is what I noticed. My mind went straight to that. Just default, just straight there before I'd even realised it. And then um, on the way home from, we, we spend our Christmas holidays up in New South Wales with our family and every year this weird thing happens where we're on the Hume Highway coming home and there's a border crossing where you cross from, it's like at, Albre at Albury there where you cross from Victoria into New South Wales, vice versa. Every time we cross the border coming home, because when you're coming home, your mind sort of goes into coming home. We cross the border and the Lord just drops something in my spirit. It happens every year. It's so cool and weird. Cool and weird at the same time. I, I love it. And I'm always kind of like anticipating it, but then equally surprised when it happens. I don't know why that is, because this really is a pattern. Anyway, 4th of January, driving across the border, I now just felt like the Lord dropped this scripture in my spirit, which is what I wanna share with you today. So it's been brewing in my heart since the 4th of January. So um, I've been thinking about this for a while. Scripture from the book of John, before I read it to you though, um, it's helpful to have some context because when we read scripture, we need to make sure we're reading it in context of what's going on. So we're jumping in at chapter three. So really quickly, the gospels are all about the life and ministry of Jesus. Got that? 
Awesome. Gospel of John, written by the Apostle John. But we're actually gonna be talking about John the Baptist this morning. So two different Johns. So author John and John the Baptist, who's in the story. But the first chapter of John, we get introduced to two people. So the author John introduces us to Jesus, which is who the whole book, who the whole gospel is about. Introduces us to Jesus, talks about Jesus as the Word who became flesh and lived among us. Describes Jesus as light and life and the Saviour of all mankind. And then the second person we meet is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist gets introduced to us as the forerunner for Jesus. So the one who would go before Jesus to prepare the way. Uh, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So as the story opens, John the Baptist is there. He's on the scene, he's preaching, he's teaching. He's got a whole crew of disciples that follow him. Uh, because he's there carving up the hard ground, making the path straight, getting it ready for Jesus to come and launch his public ministry. Then we get to chapter two and Jesus enters the story. He's on the scene. And this weird thing happens where this pattern starts to unfold and signs and wonders start to happen. But they're signs and wonders that cause all this controversy and questions amongst the people. And they're like questions that are making them ask themselves, is this really Jesus? Or is this just some other teacher claiming to be Jesus? And signs and wonders are supposed to do that. They're meant to be unsettling. And boy, were they unsettling. This created a stir. Everyone's talking about what's going on. So first of all, you have the wedding at Cana. Jesus turns water into wine. Not weird at all. Takes jugs, jars of water and, and not just any wine, but the best wine, the choice wine. And so that creates an absolute stir. Then Jesus, you know, just after that, the next story is Jesus clears the temple. He's absolutely just um, devastated by what he sees happening in the temple. And so he clears the temple and he prophesies about his own resurrection. That was controversial because all of a sudden he's claiming to be the Messiah. And people weren't sure if he really was or not yet. So that's the second thing that happens. And then he has a conversation with a guy called Nicodemus and they talk all night. And Jesus says this ludicrous thing to him about having to be, the only way to enter the kingdom of God is to be born again. Can you imagine how weird that is? That is so weird. Like think about your yourself now, the age you are now being born out of your mother's womb again. Like that's weird, that is a weird thought. And so Jesus is trying to communicate to him the only, and obviously he's not talking about being physically born again, but the concept is so strange, creates all this controversy and all these questions. And then we get this story. So here we go, we're entering into the story. So John the Baptist is there, he's preaching, he's got all these disciples, Jesus has emerged, he's now on the scene. Signs and wonders are happening everywhere. It's creating a big stir. And then we have this in verse 22 of chapter three. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptising. John was also baptising at Anon near Salem because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptised for John had not been put in prison yet. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness Look, he's baptising and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. 
Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. This statement is so remarkable. The NIV says it this way, he must become greater and I must become lesser. It's remarkable because you could forgive John for being a bit jealous, right? He's done all the hard work. He's the forerunner, so he's come before. He's carved up the ground. He's done all the hard work preparing the way and now in swoops Jesus and takes all the glory. How many people have been in a situation where you're the one that's done all the hard work and somebody else got all the credit for it? How much did you love it? Did you love it? Were you celebrating, going, it's so good that I worked so hard and everybody's clapping them and applauding them for how wonderful they are? We hate it, don't we? We hate it. It stings. And you know what happens? Our ego gets bruised. So we could forgive John for that if his ego was a bit bruised and if he was feeling a little threatened here. Um, we could understand if, you know, he's watching Jesus' popularity climb. He's got this whole following, a whole gaggle of disciples have been following John and now one by one, he's watching them all leave and go and follow the new guy over here. And Jesus' popularity is going up and up and momentum's rising and everyone's talking about it. You know, sometimes I think about if there was a comic strip of this, you'd see John dragging out a bigger box to stand on and lugging out a bigger megaphone to like yell into just to draw some attention to himself. But he doesn't do that. He makes this most remarkable statement. And he says, this joy of mine, this joy of mine is now complete. I must decrease. I must become less. I gotta dial it down now, I need to fade away, I need to fade into the background, my voice needs to become quieter, why? So that the voice of Jesus can be amplified right across the region where they were teaching, that people would stop looking to John, who was also talking about Jesus, but they would see the real thing right in front of them. They would touch him and, and be ministered to by him and have their life changed in that moment. I must become less and he must become more, I must decrease. And it's crazy to me because John responds with this incredible humility and surrender and he seems to have this acute awareness of the move of God that was happening in his midst. He doesn't need to be told to decrease. Did you notice in the scripture, Jesus doesn't need to say to him, John, thanks, you've done a great job, awesome, well done, but I'm here now. Jesus doesn't have to do that. John knows, he intuitively knows, I've fulfilled the assignment. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now. He knows the time. Now's a locating word. This joy of mine is now. Now in this moment, this joy of mine is complete. I've got to step back so that I can make room for more of God in this moment, more of Jesus in this moment. It's amazing to me. I find it really inspirational because it tells us something. I've been thinking about this all week. How does John get to this conclusion? What is it about him that enables him to respond in this way? because it's not a normal human way to respond. And all I could think of was this, that he was so clear on his call and his assignment that he was able to recognise that a change was happening and that he needed to change his posture. And that kind of clarity and that kind of humility can only come from a deeply rooted sense of identity in who he was. 
That's the only answer I can think of. It's the only explanation for a response like that, that he was so sure, so settled, so at peace in who he was and his specific call and assignment that he was able to recognise the move of God in an instant and get out of the way so that Jesus could do what he needed to do in that moment and that the Father's plan could continue to advance. You hear it there in John in the way he responds to the disciple who's questioning him in verse 28 there. He says, "Um, I said to you, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So John identifies himself. He's like, I'm the friend. Jesus is the groom. I'm the best man in this story here. And it's my joy to be the best man. I don't wanna be the groom. I'm happy being the best man. I know that that's my role. I've embraced that that's my role and so this joy is mine. I love that. It's so powerful. But most of us are not quite so humble as John, are we? Our egos are a little bit fragile and and our insecurities get the better of us most of the time, more often than we would like them to. Um, And, you know, even though we don't like to admit it, we like to be at the centre of our own lives. And we actually really like to be at the centre of other people's lives too. Because we have this need in us to feel valued and wanted and needed and celebrated and accepted and liked. We want to be liked. It's not a bad thing. It's just a real thing. It can become unhelpful when it's not in the right place. We're looking for our identity in a whole bunch of other places. But we're fairly self-centred, us humans. And I think that's why John's response is one, so remarkable and two, so challenging. You know, this joy of mine is now complete. He's a, this picture, the picture I have of him is standing there and he's so content and he's completely at peace in what's happening in this, and genuinely happy that he's played his role and that he's run his race in his lane and that he's looking around at Jesus emerging and his popularity growing and people getting to encounter him and he's, it brings him so much joy. You, you, you know, we have that phrase that we throw around all the time, trust the process. Do you hate that? Do you hate that when people say that to you? I just trust the process. Just got to trust the process. It's so aggravating when somebody says that to you when they're not in your shoes and they've got no idea what you're actually walking through, right? Someone's like, just trust the process. I actually feel like, you know, if there was an origin story for trust the process, this feels like it, where John is like so content and at peace with what's going on. It's like that's the definition of trust the process this deep abiding contentment and peace in what God is doing and and who he is in in the story in this moment. So the invitation for John the Baptist is the same invitation as it is for us and it's to not be at the centre. So countercultural. It's for us to not be at the centre, for us to not be in the spotlight, for us to not be the main character in the story, but instead to take a posture of decrease. And that's what I see when I look at John the Baptist is this, he had this way of just adopting this posture of decrease so willingly in order that God's presence and God's power and God's will would increase in us. That it would be less about my agenda and my plan and my will and my striving and more about what it is God wants to do in me and through me and to me. You know, the goal is that, as for us as disciples, is that our lives would be more and more oriented around Jesus' plans and his agenda and not 
our own and that his heart and his ways would be amplified so much in us that when others look at us, they don't see us at all, but in fact, they get a glimpse of Jesus, of his kindness, of his goodness, of his grace, of his mercy, of his self-controlled nature, of his gentleness, all of those good things. But decrease is so difficult for us, so difficult, because we're wired for increase. Everything in our culture sets us up to want more, better, bigger, happier. All of those things equal happier. We don't like the thought of being less or having less. It makes us super uncomfortable because we don't quite know what to do. We're really good at filling up all the space and we don't know what to do when all the spaces aren't full and, and busy and full of activity. And I wanna share with you this quote by one of my favourite authors, Dallas Willard. He writes a beautiful book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. He writes many beautiful books, but this is just one of them. He says this, um, he says, the point is that our culture, in our culture, we're conditioned to think that the most valuable way to do anything is to do or have more of it. And so we work more, we consume more, we learn more, we get more friends on Facebook. It's probably an older book, so insert Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever your preference for platforms are. Um, we can unwittingly transfer this way of thinking to our spiritual lives. So we study more, pray more, fellowship more. And the problem is not that such activities are bad or wrong. As a Bible professor, I can certainly attest to the value of reading the Word, but that we have a difficult time seeing the importance of disciplines in which we don't do or add something. However, it's important to realise that sometimes we need to take things out of our lives rather than just adding things to them. When we take something out of our lives, we create a space that needs to be filled and amazing things can happen when we open up spaces in our lives. It's easier to hear the voice of God when we practise silence because our world is not filled with competing noises. Doing without something can help us appreciate it more Sometimes when we remove something from our lives, even for just a short period of time, we discover how much unnecessary time we spend on it, or even how much it controls us. Ooh, there's some good wisdom there for us. You know, in, the, in this book, um, Dallas Willard talks about the two categories of spiritual disciplines. You might be familiar with these, but there's one category, which are the disciplines of engagement. That's all the stuff we do. We're doing it right now being together in fellowship in church together as the body of Christ, that's a discipline of engagement. Worship, prayer, giving, serving, all disciplines of engagement, things we do to, um, to encounter God. Then there are the lesser known or the lesser preferred disciplines that, that are called the disciplines of abstinence, which are all about the things we don't do or the things we abstain from, as the word would suggest. So things like fasting, when you enter into a period of fasting, you choose some things that you're going to remove or not have in order to create room to spend more time with the Lord for Him to speak to you. Sabbath is another one where we stop and we pause working to create space for the Lord to move. Silence, solitude, retreating, all of those are disciplines of abstinence. But what happens for us is we're so heavily geared towards disciplines of engagement because they make us feel like we're progressing it's easy to map the progress and feel like we're winning and we're, because we're doing stuff, we're active, I'm doing it, I'm winning, winning with the Lord. That we don't, we often avoid the disciplines of abstinence because they're uncomfortable because when you start to remove things, 
and have to kind of pull out those old roots and that old stuff and you know, clean out the fridge and find that smelly thing at the back that's really creating a stinking is unrecognisable anymore. <laughs> when we start to take things out, we create a bit of room and space. Sometimes the silence is a bit frightening and it makes us feel uncomfortable. He goes on to say, um, oh, I just wanna say this first, but um, the thing is, God did not invite us to a comfortable discipleship. He never promised that it would be easy, did he, in the scriptures? He didn't invite us to be comfortable. In fact, quite the opposite. Matthew 16 tells us this, if any of you, this is Jesus speaking, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will, you will save it. And so Willard goes on to say that abstinence makes way for engagement. A proper abstinence actually breaks the hold of improper engagements so that the soul can be properly engaged in and by God. The disciplines of abstinence can be harder to practice because we have to overcome our need to feel productive. In this, we need to be willing to go against our inclinations if we're going to be able to make space for God to reveal himself to us and to show us our needs, our shortcomings, blessings or his will for our life. So you wanna see some spiritual gains in 2024? Let me tell you this, the answer is not more. It's not bigger, it's not louder, it's not better, it's not adding. As Alice Willard said, not that any of those things are bad, but actually the way to see spiritual gains and to experience more of God and to see the growth that you are desiring and to see the hunger that you have satisfied is actually by adopting a posture of decrease and being brave enough to ask the question, what has got to go? Actually, what needs to be removed? What can I not take with me into 2024 because it's just simply not serving me anymore? Those redundant mindsets, old narratives, you know, the things that we get so familiar with that have been part of our story for such a long time that we forget that they're not actually part of the future. Some of the experiences and the things that we have in our life, they, our life, they do shape us. And I'm not saying that they're not valid. I'm just saying that they need to take a different position in our lives. And we actually need to, leap, to let them go and actually move forward into 2024 with a different posture. So what are the unhealthy behaviours or attachments, the counterfeit joys, the redundant attitudes, the unhelpful narratives, the unresourceful use of time, surrendering ego, surrendering pride, surrendering our need for assurance and control, decluttering the mess and the noise. The pathway to see the gain and the maturity and that increase of God, of his presence and his power and his will and his clarity in your world is through considering what needs to be removed. How do I take a posture of decrease this year? How do I become less so that Jesus can become more? Second thing is through getting clear on the identity that we've been given in Christ as sons and daughters. One of the most remarkable things about John the Baptist is how he found his security and his joy in Jesus because he knew exactly who he was and the assignment that he'd been given. And that's available to you. 
that kind of clarity. Maybe you dream of that kind of clarity to be able with the same sense of assurance and peace and contentment as John to be able to go, I know exactly my call. I know exactly the assignment the Lord's put in my hand this year. Do you know you have one call but many assignments? Do you know that God has created you uniquely? He's put you together. He knew you before you were born and he has a call for your life but it gets expressed in many, 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 many different assignments over many, many different seasons of your life and your journey of faith. Imagine if in 2024, we spent less time worrying about what everybody else thinks about us. What if we spent less time comparing ourselves and competing with one another? And we spent more time interested in how God sees us and interested in the identity that He's given us and developing a deep security in that. Imagine that, that'd be a game changer. Imagine if in 2024 we spent less time chasing after counterfeit joy and instead learnt what it truly meant to receive the joy of the Lord, the deep abiding joy of the Lord that is your strength. Imagine that. Imagine if we spent less time this year holding on to pride and old offences, less time holding on to anger and fear and shame and regret and disappointments of the past and instead spent more time creating some space for God to increase, for His voice to be amplified and His will for your life to be magnified and the hope for your future to be restored to you. Do you know what God wants to do for you in 2024? Do you know? Do you know what He wants to do for you? He wants to reveal Himself to you. Doug told us this two weeks ago. He wants you to know Him. So he's looking for a way today and every day to reveal himself to you. To some of you, he wants to reveal himself to you for the very first time because you're here and you're not yet a Christian and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian but you're exploring faith and you're a little bit curious because you're here and you wouldn't be if you weren't unless maybe someone dragged you kicking and screaming so thank you for coming. (laughs) But if that's you, every week there are people in our church and they're exploring faith. If that's you, the question I wanna invite you to consider this year is am I open to God revealing himself to me this year? Maybe even today, am I open to that? Because I tell you what, if you're open to it, he will. Maybe even today, because he is so passionate about you getting to know him, he already knows all about you. He loves you already. Before you've done anything, he loves you. But he wants you to get to know him and he wants to tell you about the incredible plan that he has for your life and the good purposes that he's mapped out for you. And he's so personal that he will reveal himself to you in a way that makes sense just to you. And you might be a young person in the room today, maybe you're here with mum and dad and you watch mum and dad have a relationship with Jesus but you haven't quite had that personal encounter for yourself yet. Do you know what? The Lord wants to encounter you in a way that makes sense to you. Not just a way that makes sense to mum and dad, but you, because he sees you and he cares about you and he's got a plan for you. So are you open to God revealing himself to you this year? You might be in a different category and maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. How many people know that when you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, sometimes your faith can get a bit stale and the shine and the wonder of the joy of our salvation that the scripture talks about, the joy of our salvation wears off a little bit, the joy gets a bit less joyish. I just really felt the Lord say this morning that he wants to restore to you the joy of your salvation, that that your faith would feel as fresh as it did the day you met Jesus this year in 2024. And if that's the prayer of your heart, receive that this morning. That's a gift on the table for you to take. The Lord's laid the table for you to take that this morning. 
just a refreshment in your spirit, a new fire in your soul. You know, last night this altar was full of hungry young people just just seeking the face of Jesus and wanting to be used by him to see their generation impacted. Do you remember, maybe you've had an experience like that long time ago, it's been a while since you had that feeling. That's the feeling. It's not even a feeling, it's the reality of what the Lord wants to restore to you today. So the question I have for you is to consider what needs to decrease in me this year to make room for God's will and work and power to increase in my life? What needs to be removed or surrendered to see an increase of God's presence come? Band, you can come and join me. Just a couple of closing thoughts and then I wanna pray for you this morning. A couple of observations from the life of John that I want you to take away with you. The first one's this. John was clear on his call and he knew his role and assignment. That comes through in this passage so clearly. How clear are you? How clear are you on the call that God has placed on your life and on the assignment that he's given you for 2024? Because maybe that feels fuzzy for you. And I just wanna encourage you that the Lord wants to bring that clarity for you and it comes from learning and discovering who you are, not just what you do and how you're gonna be useful for Him, but who you are. So a prayer for you, my prayer for you this year is a sense of deep identity. There are a whole bunch of ways that can help you with that um, story day, mentoring, discovery groups, those kinds of things, but spending the time with the Lord and letting Him speak into that space. Number two, John lived a life of bold witness and we're commissioned with the same mandate. Do you know our roles as disciples of Jesus is to live a life that promotes God's kingdom, not our own, that promotes His agenda, not our own. It's a, it's a bold mandate and it's one that we get invited to carry. You know, telling people about Jesus is often so far less about what you say and so much more about how you live and how you be with them what comes through in your life, how they experience you. Third thing is this, John was humble and responsive to God's timing. And so I wonder how we might imitate this kind of humility this year, how we might remove ourselves from the centre and allow the Lord to be amplified. And and fourthly, his security and his identity and his clarity of call released this deep joy and contentment in his life. How might God wanna meet you in that this year and restore that joy to you, I wonder. Hey, yesterday um, I was sitting in the driveway, which I know is a strange spot to sit, but there's a story behind that that I won't bother going into. Anyway, sitting in the driveway for about four hours yesterday and I was thinking about and just praying about Young Disciples Conference last night and um, this word that I wanted to share with you today. And I just felt the Lord give me this picture as clear as day and it was, and I wanna offer it to you because my hunch is, and we've already seen in the first service today that this is actually um, just a word for many people today that, and an invitation for how the Lord wants to release you to set your year up, to see more of Him, to see increase in Him, in His presence and His power in your life. And the picture was this. The picture was of this giant sailing boat out at sea and its sails were full of wind, the wind of the Holy Spirit. And it had a a sense of direction and purpose and it knew that it was called and that there was a good purpose for it and it was going somewhere, this boat. But the boat wasn't making any progress in the water. Sails were full of the wind. All the intention was there, but the boat was just struggling to make headway. 
I don't know if you've ever been caught in a rip swimming against a tide and you can swim and swim and swim and swim and you go nowhere, but you're exhausted. Do you know that feeling? That's the feeling for some of you in the, in the room this morning. That your sail is full of wind and you are swimming and swimming and you are straining towards something, but you're stuck, so stuck. And you cannot understand and you're exasperated as to why you're not moving anywhere, why you're not going anywhere. Why is this ship full of, the sails are full, but the ship's not sailing, why? And then I turned around in my spirit and what I saw behind me was this rope as thick as anything, absolutely taut out the back of this ship. And it was dragging a house full of baggage behind it, full of old stories, old narratives, lies of the enemy that aren't even true, past disappointments, past regrets, fear about a whole bunch of stuff, a cloud of depression, anger, you name it, deep roots of stuff that just need to be pulled up and pulled out. And I felt the Lord say this, as clear as anything, cut the dead weight. 2024 is the year to cut the dead weight. And, and I tell you what, He's not going to do it for you. He's already filled your sails. The invitation is for you to cut the dead weight. There needs to be a laying down, a relinquishing on our part, a response that says, I must become less so that He can become more. I've got to turf this out of my boat because I can't go anywhere, because I'm sinking, because I'm dragging all of this behind me and it's not serving me anymore. It doesn't mean they weren't significant things, but they need to take a different place so you can move into your future this year. So that's the invitation for you. So I wanna invite you to stand and I wanna pray for you this morning. And I'd love to invite you just right where you stand, just to close your eyes. In the book of Ephesians, Paul prays this prayer, Ephesians 1.18, prays this prayer for the church. And he prays for them that the eyes of their heart would be opened. That, that the eyes of their heart, that's weird, your heart has eyes. Just get your head around that for a minute. But your heart is the perceiving part of you. And it sees and it discerns things in the Spirit. And He prays for them that the eyes of their heart would be opened to see the hope that is in Christ Jesus for their future. And so with your eyes closed and with the eyes of your heart opened this morning, I wonder if you could be brave enough to look behind your boat and see what's there. Because for some of you, you're gonna see that rope and that big heavy weight that you're dragging behind you and you're gonna feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit that today's the day you need to cut the dead weight. And I wanna invite you to do that right now. Right now in your spirit, right now in your confession just before the Lord. Lord, I need to draw a line. I need to cut that dead weight. I need to let that go. I need to leave it. I need to leave it here at your altar today. I need to leave it at your feet and let it be your burden. And I need to step into a new place of freedom and I want that. I'm hungry for that, God. I, I'm, I want to take a posture of decrease to experience more of Your presence and power and will in my life. I wanna grow, I wanna be refreshed, I wanna be restored, I wanna be healed, and I wanna leave the past in the past and I wanna walk into my future with hope. And so if that's you this morning, I just wanna invite you, just posture yourself before the Lord. Open your hands, you can raise your hands if you want to, whatever you wanna do. But if that's resonating for you, I'm just gonna pray over you right now. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, I thank You that You see us. I thank You that You know us intimately and deeply and You know our struggles. 
You know how hard it can be to actually let things go and leave them behind, especially when they formed part of our identity for so long. But God, we see that You're doing a new thing and You're inviting us to a new place this year, a new place of devotion, a new place of experiencing more and more of You, of walking more closely with You, Lord Jesus. And so Lord, we just pray, would You help us throw off everything that would hold us back, the sin that would entangle us, Lord, the old narratives, the old mindsets, Lord, just the fear that we carry all the time that's just lurking and crouching at our doorstep all the time, Lord. The anger, the hurt, the pride, the ego, Lord, our desire to wanna promote ourselves and puff up. Lord, we wanna become less so that You would become more this year. So I pray for freedom this morning. I pray for a fresh sense of joy in our salvation. I pray, God, would You reveal Yourself to us in a new way this year and put a fire in our belly and in our bones for You this year, Lord Jesus to see You, to know You, to live a life that reflects Your glory. It's a line in the sand kind of day-to-day church. And don't miss your opportunity this morning. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for what it is that You're doing. Still allow the Lord to keep ministering to You. We're gonna spend some time in worship together. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Discovery Church Podcast. It is our mission that every heart is found in Jesus' story. If you were moved by this episode, please take 30 seconds to share it on your social media. It only takes a couple of seconds to create life-changing impact.